Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. And boy, do we have a huge bet to report this week. A better in Indiana made a $2 million bet on the Astros to win the World Series at 10 to 1, meaning the bet could earn him $20 million. Wow, that is yeah. something else. Oh. Oh, wait, uh, the bet was placed by Mattress Mac, uh, who, who's just hedging against another furniture store giveaway. So I've immediately lost all interest. Uh, are, are you with me on this, John, that there's no amount of money Mattress Mac could wager at this point that could make you care that, that this has become a dog bites man headline? Well, I, to be perfectly honest, I met Mattress Mac at the Middle Lands Racetrack two years ago when he's making one of these million dollar bets. And I got to say, he's kind of charming. I mean, okay. for all the uh, self-promotion and everything else, uh, he's a salesman and he kind of sold me. I, I, I got sold. Um, so I'm a little tired of the story, but not as tired of Mattress Mac himself. So plus I thought he was doing basically even money bets over the years where he wins a million, loses a million in terms of he gets the cash, but pays out on free mattresses and whatever other furniture he's selling. Or he loses the bet, but then he keeps the mattress money. Uh, has he figured out a way to fully hedge a 10 to one shot like this? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure the math of it and uh, quite what whether he actually is in a position where he's going to come out ahead no matter what, rather than uh, just breaking mm -hmm. even. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the idea behind betting on them early as a long shot. I, I don't know. But um, I, I'll note that Mattress Mac has the Astros at 10 to 1 to win the World Series. I have them at the same price, 10 to 1 to win the American League, uh, a bet I made before the season. I don't have $2 million on it. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, but... I went 10 bucks to win 100. Uh, and, and they're currently offering me $19.06 to cash out. Uh, uh -huh. I'm considering it in part just so I don't have to root for the Astros in the playoffs. But <laughs> yeah, then I think about it more. It's, you know, who are they going to be against? The Yankees, the Red Sox? They're all evil. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let it ride for now, I think. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it. Like I said, I, I, I've definitely been charmed by Mattress Mac. Is, uh, I, I kind of like it, especially if he's risking any money. Believe me, this guy's got a gazillion dollars. He can lose a couple million bucks. Not, not going to phase his bottom line. But right. I still think it's kind of cool. It's a big number. It is exciting. It is. If it was anyone but him, I think I would I would <laughs> <Okay>. care. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 148 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 147 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify or almost any other podcast app. Uh, I just gave up on the Apple app because the latest redesign is counterintuitive and the app now overheats my phone and drains my battery. So <laughs> I've switched my podcast listening to Overcast and I see that you can subscribe to Gamble on there. So subscribe wherever you want. Just make sure you subscribe. Overcast, is that a real thing? Overcast. Yep, yep that's what it's called. <laughs> okay, and, and you're worried about like, uh, you know, reception and all that and Overcast, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague Jill Dorson, primarily of uh, Sports Handle fame, to break down all the latest news on sports betting legalization in Florida, Ohio, Arizona, and Louisiana. But first, it's been a busy week in the world of Jersey-related gambling for me, for sure, and there have been some interesting developments elsewhere as well. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. 
we weren't having Jill Dorson on the podcast this week, perhaps some of those state-specific legalization developments would make our news segment, but instead we'll save them and start with legalization in an entire country. Canada has officially legalized single-game sports betting, uh, or more accurately, lifted the ban and permitted provinces to legalize it. Uh, I know this podcast is presented by U.S. Bets, and Canada isn't part of the U.S., but hey, close enough. Uh, The Safe and Regulated Sports Betting Act passed the Senate by a clear-cut 57 to 20 vote, and it was never a case where there was much concern over whether it had enough support. The concern was over whether it would get done in time. But with less than 48 hours to go before summer recess, the bill advanced on Tuesday, and legal sports betting is coming to Canada perhaps as early as this fall. Uh, John, any thoughts on the process of getting the bill passed or, or what the regulations look like? And what impact does this have on northern U.S. states that either have or haven't legalized sports wagering already? Well, you know, who says you can't be a little little bit pregnant after all? Uh, Canada <laughs> for 36 years has offered legal parlay sports betting, but right. not single game betting. I mean, I've been to Toronto and Vancouver many times and to Montreal as well. And I like the country. I love its people. Uh, they can be kind of quirky, eh? Yeah. So um, I would say this. Uh, it's it's a good point you made about the province by province. Very similar to the United States in that front. Ontario is going to be first uh, for sure. And then um, Vancouver is into it on the lottery system, which is pretty popular uh, in the U.S. too, having lottery run sports betting. Um, the other provinces are kind of up for grabs. So uh, I'm not sure what will happen there. Uh, I would say, I think uh, Michiganders, I mean, I love that term and our former colleague experiment with Michiganders. I right. like that even more. Uh, they should be relieved to get about, have gotten about a year's head start in Ontario. You know, I've made the trek from Detroit to Windsor and it's like two miles, no kidding, through a tunnel. It's uh, not hard to get from uh, A to B there um, and B to A in this case for uh, all those um, uh, Ontarians who uh, no doubt were betting in uh, Michigan since it started. Um, so much as New Jersey continues to poach money from New Yorkers until next year, Michigan, of course, has made money on those Ontarians. I also have driven from Buffalo to Toronto a number of times. Uh, 20 years ago, JetBlue could get me from New York to Buffalo for like 200 bucks. But to cover a Nets or Knicks first Raptors game, a direct flight to Toronto was more like a thousand. Uh, now that's closer to 100 miles, but an Ontarian again could have driven half that distance to make a single game wager if, oh, well, if New York had mobile sports betting for the past three years. Uh, so the Empire State doesn't lose money so much as they don't poach some because they were too slowed out of the gate. And uh, it'll be kind of a break even for uh, Ontario versus New York, whereas Michigan got a little bit of an edge there. You mentioned uh, parlay uh, betting and uh, A. I believe they spell parlay, P-A-R-L-E-H in Canada. Nice. Like um, so uh, re- regarding the question of uh, U.S.-based gamblers with legal betting access possibly heading to Canada now and uh, you know how this impacts that, the border restrictions are being loosened. Uh, so presumably by the time betting launches, they'll be back to normal-ish. Uh, so, you know, what, what, would have uh, what the situation would have been during the height of COVID uh, is changing in terms of that aspect of it. Um, if you're in Northern Wisconsin or Idaho or Minnesota, et cetera, it might take some betting dollars to Canada. Um, but it, I wouldn't think this is going to look anything like a, a New Yorkers going to New Jersey situation in terms of the volume. Although I guess uh, we could say this, it is a very long border that Canada has with, with the U S. Um, so I, I wonder if maybe this like pushes things along a little more in a state like Minnesota where legislation has been introduced. They're practically surrounded now by legal betting States and countries. Uh, maybe this nudges a state like Minnesota along a little bit. 
Yeah, that's the, the casino model I've talked about in the 1990s. I mean, right. no state's going to have casinos until every other state surrounding them has them. And then you figure out, like Pennsylvania did uh, belatedly in the 2000s, that, oh, wait, our people are actually gambling a lot of money. They're just not doing it here. So since they're gambling anyway, gee, we could have it here and then we get the tax revenue because we're not stopping them from gambling uh, in casinos in that case. Um, they're just not betting here. So, yeah, I think Minnesota and some other states will happen. It, it's uh, res resistance is futile, I think, is the phrase. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and uh, meanwhile, in one other state that borders Canada, uh, Maine, there's some quick news to mention here. The latest version of the sports betting bill has been advanced to the governor, the same governor, Janet Mills, who vetoed it in January 2020. But it's believed she's on board with this bill, uh, which is, of course, less customer friendly than the last one. They screwed it up just enough to make the governor happy and various other people unhappy. But it appears sports betting is coming to Maine. We'll, of course, keep listeners posted if and when it gets done. Not sure if you had anything to uh, comment on with Maine this week. Well, I've been there, too, but I have not done the Maine to Canada trip. So I'm not sure exactly how to describe that one. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Um, for our second story. Let's celebrate inaction. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice did absolutely nothing on Monday, and that's good news for the gambling world, as doing nothing in this case meant letting a deadline pass without challenging the last ruling on the Wire Act. Quick refresher. In 2011, under the Obama administration, the DOJ determined that the Wire Act only prohibited interstate sports betting, not other forms of online gambling. In 2018, the Trump DOJ offered a contrary opinion, suggesting no online gambling could take place across state lines. The New Hampshire lottery challenged that. A court sided with the New Hampshire lottery. And the Biden DOJ could have challenged it, but it didn't. So for now, the status quo remains. Interstate online poker is legal, and so are interstate lotteries. But sports betting contests covering multiple states still are not, except DFS contests, which are their own separate thing that supposedly isn't sports gambling. Uh, anyway, uh, John, is this the end of this Wire Act drama or just the end until the next change of presidential administrations? And then we might go through this all over again. Uh, and do you expect the pace of interstate online poker compacts to pick up now? Well, you know, the first thing worth noting was that on Friday, a letter signed by 27 U.S. attorneys general. Hey, I didn't invent the English language. And it's not as bad. It's not as bad as courts martial, which is also Ooh, correct. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. I've never heard anybody talk about more than one court martial. But if they did, they would have to say courts martial. Um, but why would they? Um, so that letter went to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, insisting that inaction, as you note, wasn't good enough. And technically, they're right. All we know now is that in the First Circuit, or basically New England, it's it's set, but it's not precedent anywhere else. So in theory, there is some certainty, uncertainty, really, of you know where we go next. Now, President Biden is from Delaware, and Delawareans, or are they Delawareers? I'm not sure, mm -hmm. uh, but they love them some gambling. So they beat New Jersey to the punch for online poker rollout by a, about a week in 2013, and by about another week in 2018 for sports betting. So uh, he's into uh, gambling, I assume. And it's not like he's pushing age 80 or, no, well, he turned 79 in November. And <laughs> okay. the successor would be a former state attorney general, singular, uh, in Kamala Harris, who hails from gambling expansion of California. 
So yeah, more clarity would be nice now that I think about it. Um, you know, my first thought was that the inaction would move Pennsylvania forward on, on online poker finally and the compact. Uh, but Eric, your state reps seem to be a bit timid a lot in general. Yeah. And I just provide an excuse for them to keep stalling on this. Hey, we don't have a, a you know precedent everywhere. We haven't heard from the Biden administration anything definitive. So uh, I'm more confident though in Michigan gamblers uh, going forward into that uh, betting compact with uh, New Jersey, Nevada, and Delaware. Delaware, and that will really help uh, all online poker players uh, in all four states. All right. Well, a few different things to hit on there. Uh, one is if you and the other John Brennan are ever in the same room, <laughs> I, I am referring to you as John's Brennan when you're uh, together. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, so the fact that, uh, that the DOJ and Merrick Garland uh, let the deadline pass instead of explicitly ruling that the Wire Act doesn't apply to online poker, lottery, et cetera, I would think that probably does leave the door open for further challenges. But I, I wonder without Sheldon Adelson around, does it matter? Um, kind of just a guess here, but I, I don't think we'll hear about the Wire Act again during the 2020s. I think maybe after that enough time passes, anything is possible. I, I think this is the last challenge to it for a little while. Um, but yeah, you, you brought up the Pennsylvania thing and I completely agree with you. Um, from talking to some Pennsylvania people last year for an article, it did sound like the Wire Act question was one thing slowing down interstate poker compacts, but the bigger factor was probably just that everything with gambling launching moves slowly in Pennsylvania. Um, and now you have one of the key excuses uh, gone for lacking interstate poker, but you know, WSOP.com still hasn't launched in the state and that's the one that's been going across state lines elsewhere. I don't know. Uh, this, is, this is a bet the over in terms of time for me, uh, just based on the way the last couple of years have gone. I, I'd say Pennsylvania will still not have any interstate poker at the end of 2021, but I'm right with you that Michigan might well join up with New Jersey before the year is out. Um, and, and I'd love to think that the, this situation inspires other states to legalize online poker, but really how many legislators understand online poker and why multi-state liquidity matters. Somehow I doubt this actually changes anything. I, I, I don't think this will be a, a hot topic anywhere where online poker isn't already being considered. Well, I, I, I've always said that Michigan and Pennsylvania in particular were, were key because they are kind of middle of the road states. They're traditional states. So when they pass something, they pay more attention. I've always said that uh, Nevada and Delaware and New Jersey in particular are seen as these rebels, these outlaws, these wild, wild west guys in terms of gambling. So right. them doing something doesn't inspire other states to do it. But Pennsylvania and Michigan are kind of, you know, regular states. So uh, I think in particular, Pennsylvania went forward with Michigan, I do think it would help, uh, you know, other uh, states kind of be prodded a little bit forward, particularly because when you're explaining the potential revenue and all that, you're going to have that full liquidity and the maximum potential. You know, so right. far you're trying to sell something that really, if it's only in your state, um, it's not going to make that much money. Now, you're not going to solve the pension problem in your state by this by any means, but um, I, I think it would help. So I'm cautiously optimistic that, you know, starting in 2022, uh, online poker starts to roll out. It's never going to be an explosion, but right. uh, it'll, it'll happen. Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see what some of those first revenue numbers look like when some new states start sharing liquidity. I mean, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Michigan, they're all each one is generating about 
two million to two and a half million in, in rake a month at this point, which, you know, the actual tax revenue generated from that then is is really nothing significant. But yeah, if if the two million per state suddenly becomes five million per state once they start teaming up, uh, you know, if, if it's a significant bump, you might be right that it'll uh, catch catch the attention of some other states. And also explains to legislators that, look, it's already happening, okay? It's right. like everything else in gambling, including sports betting in particular. They don't seem to understand. It's not whether people will be able to bet on sports or play play online poker or do online slots or any kind of gambling. It's already happening. It's extensive. It's out there. It's yeah. easy to find. Anybody yeah. can find it. Um, and so let's regulate it. Let's tax it. Let's uh, – consumer protection is probably the, the biggest uh, – avenue to uh, pitch the legislators more than the revenue because the revenue gets over pushed and like you say these are drops in the bucket it's really about consumer protection and hey if people are doing something le- illegally anyway why not give them an opportunity to do it legally yeah yeah all right uh we finish up the news segment with an interesting bill that the new jersey state senate approved on monday connecting horse racing with sports betting There are three horse tracks in the state of New Jersey, Meadowlands, Monmouth Park, and Freehold Raceway that also house sports books. And the new bill is designed to prevent the tracks from abandoning horse racing in favor of the sports betting. The bill requires the two tracks that run standard bred races, Meadowlands and Freehold, to schedule at least 151 live standard bred race meetings a year in order to maintain a sports betting license. Uh, Although there are loopholes that can drop the requirement down to 75 race dates, I hope I'm explaining this correctly. John will correct me in about 30 seconds if I got anything wrong there. Um, the, The bill is headed to the assembly where it's expected to pass. This is interesting in part because in several other states, there's talk of separating horse racing from other gambling, but New Jersey is keeping them connected. John, you've been covering this, uh, as well as some other legislation in New Jersey this week, so feel free to mention any of that as well. But how significant is this for the horse racing industry, and might other states follow New Jersey's lead? Well, I got to say, locations like Ontario, again, I'm talking about Ontario today, Mm. uh, and Florida and your beloved Pennsylvania, talking about them again, uh, are pretty enamored with diverting funds from horse racing elsewhere to the budget. and that's starting to be a bit of a trend that's very concerning to the horse racing industry. Now, horse racing is a sport that laid the pathway for cas- casinos, more recently sports betting, online casino gaming. You know, voters see no harm in horse racing, even though they may not be interested in it. So gambling tied to that sport was OK with them. But as gambling becomes more mainstream and matures, horse racing is risking either breaking stride or being left at the starting gate. Oh, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I cover both breeds anyway. Right. So, you know, Meadowlands racetrack operator and owner Jeff Corral, he's a horseman himself, as well as a zillionaire real estate mogul. He loves horse racing. Um, and the half owner of Freehold Raceway is Penn National. Uh, Greenwood Racing has the other half. Uh, Penn National has a stake in horse racing as well as other all kinds of other new gambling, especially sports betting. So the harness racing folks seem to be laying low in this bill in New Jersey, but it seems as if they want to lock this deal in now. And it's smart because this is an election year for the governor and all 120 legislators, which is unusual. And support for horse racing is big in parts of New Jersey and gambling overall, we know, is popular in the state. So there's no point in poking the harness racing backers bare, uh, particularly when not doing so can make you seem anti-environmental because the open space issue in New Jersey, the most densely populated state in the country, uh, no horse racing, no horse farms, equal condos, you know, papering over uh, beautiful horse country. So uh, this is a smart move and uh, it's really going to be helpful not only to New Jersey and harness racing, but that helps the whole sport nationally and internationally. Because if the Meadowlands 
racetrack ever shut down, the whole sport would be in jeopardy. Uh, so um, I think it's just good politics and well-timed uh, on the part of the horsemen. Okay. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, I don't have too much to add on, on that topic, but there was another separate item that you noted in your article where you covered this uh, that caught my eye about New Jersey making it legal to bet on competitive eating, award shows, esports, things like that without needing special approval each time. Um, that, that one stood out to me as an interesting item. And it, and it makes sense. You know, at a certain point, you've allowed betting on these unique activities a few times. It's gone okay just make the whole thing legal. Uh, but of course, you know, watch it closely. If the books start setting markets on the MTV video music awards, maybe you go back and you get more specific about the rules, but for now, you know, Oscars, Emmys, you stick to the big ones where the envelopes are well-protected. Plus you keep low limits. You should be fine. So I, I found that an interesting uh, detail from your uh, reporting on what's going yeah, on. In so Jersey. Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Now, all those things you mentioned, esports and, and Academy Awards and all, that's already happened in New Jersey in special cases, as you say. Right. Um, but for Nathan's hot dog eating contest, for example, um, the maximum bet you can make is $100 and the maximum you can win is 500 So, you know, the, the, the whales who are gambling uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, uh, you know, the NFL or something are not going to spend countless hours uh, researching uh, exactly who's the best play in the Nathan's hot dog eating contest for a chance to win up to $500. It's not worth their while. So uh, yeah, I think it makes sense. And I talked to one lawmaker who just told me that, um, you know, they, they wanted to give the regulators a little more leeway because um, they know what they're doing. There's been no issues with um, really uh, foolish uh, decisions by them and all that. So rather than have them go through all these, uh, sort of red tape hoops to to make even one, you know, esports event happen. Just say, listen, we're going to assume you're going to be able to do this and you're still going to, you know, oversee and make sure that uh, there aren't underage players or you know, underage gamblers or anything else. So uh, it's, it's kind of a vote of confidence for the regulators in New Jersey. We've done a good job uh, from the lawmakers. Yeah. And the fact that they're, you know, keeping nice low limits, I don't have to worry about the integrity of Joey Chestnut shoving hot dogs down his gullet being compromised. And I think I've mentioned before that I, the fact that they, they actually just dunk the buns in water. <laughs> right. It, that's not, it's just, it's just wrong. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if it's as bad as the, the shift in baseball, but it's, it's, it, they're both wrong. They both should be fixed. <laughs> well, I don't know. I still, I'm still more get off my lawn, by the way. I, right. <laughs> well, the ultimate get off my lawn would be uh, me talking about how I'm more preoccupied with wondering what the heck goes into a hot dog uh, that wor worrying about what's in there. And uh, of course, as you know, I do, I do not consume uh, real hot dogs anymore anyway. So it's uh, yeah, dunk, I, dunk I, it I, in I, water or not. I'm staying the hell away from it. Yeah. I think the ingredients are similar to those ultimate burgers that are supposed to be so uh you <laughs> no, know, no 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 so 100 plant-based uh-huh yeah okay <laughs> if you say so it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview A little more than three years after the fall of PASPA, there's still news breaking almost every day about states legalizing sports betting, thinking about legalizing sports betting, or updating the rules for their already legalized sports betting. And nobody in the business is better at staying on top of the news and being able to keep it all straight in her mind than our colleague Jill Dorson, who writes primarily for SportsHandle.com, but can also be found on U.S. bets and our state-specific sites. And she joins us now to set us straight on the latest news across the country. Jill, welcome once again to gamble on 
Well, thanks. It's nice to be here. It's a little break from writing and reporting. Yeah, talking is much easier than uh, than writing, I've found it over is. the years. <laughs> um, so let's start in Florida with some big news that you broke on Wednesday. As we've covered on the podcast, sports betting has been legalized in the state, but the regulations give the Seminole tribe a near monopoly, and there are major doubts about whether the online aspect will survive legal scrutiny. Well, the major online sports books are making their move, as you reported that DraftKings and FanDuel appear to have backed a campaign to get mobile betting on the ballot in November 2022. What more can you tell us at this point, Jill? And do you take this as an indicator that online betting under the original plan hatched by the state and the Seminoles is DOA? I'm not sure that it's DOA. Um, there's a couple of pieces to it. Right now, the Florida Compact is at the Department of the Interior for review, which takes 45 days. Um, it was sent May 26th, and so should be back somewhere around July 9th or 10th. Um, there's a lot of question about whether Interior is going to approve it in the first place, because the pact actually allows for betting off of tribal lands through paramutuals um, and mobile. And so that's the first question. And then the second question with regard to legal challenges was whether or not um, the government there can uh, allow sports betting across the state without voter approval in every city, town, county. I'm not exactly sure um, you know, how low level it is in terms of whether we're talking about cities and towns or counties, but there's an amendment three that requires voter approval. So um, in, Initially reading the compact, my first thought was that um, operators would go for a ballot initiative or find some other way into the state so that they didn't have to partner with the Hard Rock and the Seminoles and give them a cut and share their technology and you know various other things that make it uncomfortable. Right. So, and so had you heard any rumblings prior to your sources giving you this information just recently, uh, rumblings that DraftKings and FanDuel had the ball rolling on this at all, or was this kind of all of a sudden, here's some news? So it was kind of in the background for me. I knew it was coming, but it turns out what I didn't know, and I learned actually today, um, is that the rules for how much money you can contribute to an initiative campaign change in Florida on July 1st. Um, I don't know if there's a cap right now, but it's in the millions um, that you can contribute to a campaign. And as of July 1st, it will be $3,000. Oh. So the timing <laughs> of this is clearly, you know, has to do with beating that deadline um, because it's going to cost probably $20 million to $30 million to get enough signatures to get the initiative on the ballot in the first place. $3,000 cap. I could almost contribute to some initiatives now. <laughs> right? Me too. <laughs> yeah, Jill, I want to talk about a state that uh, seems to be getting things right. It's kind of a weekly tradition uh, uh, on Gamble On where Eric will talk about a state that's sort of making progress, but we're not sure. And what do I think? And I generally say, forget it, not going to happen. You know, New York was good to me for years. Ohio is still good to me. You know, there's other states uh, like that. But um, Arizona seems like I, I'm just amazed. The uh, is it as done as I think it is? And then are there any unique aspects to it? And is this maybe a model? Is this, is this a, a blueprint for other states that haven't gotten it together to figure out, um, you know, some something they've done that is has worked so well? So I don't want to be contrary, but no, it's yeah. not a model. Um, okay. But it is um, a state that's moving forward and moving relatively quickly. Um, so to answer your first question, um, is it a done deal? Pretty much. Whether or not they hit the September 9th go live date, which is what the regulator is saying they want to do, you know, we won't know until we get there. Um, but they're in the process of holding stakeholder meetings and revising the rules, and they're hoping to get their final rules out 
actually before the middle of July. Um, and the reason that I say that it's not a model is because what they approved in Arizona certainly was statewide mobile sports betting, which is great for everybody, but they're only gonna give 10 licenses to sports teams and then 10 to tribes. The problem is there's fewer than 10 sports teams and there's a lot more than 10 tribes. Um, so there's gonna be about a dozen tribes that potentially are left out of this. Um, although I'm starting to hear that there's some coalitions forming <laughs> between mm. the different tribes um, to kind of potentially share a license so that everybody gets a piece. Yeah, I should have known. No state seems to get this exactly right. So <laughs> even New Jersey, no. which practically is a model, um, they've right. had this issue where you can't bet on Rutgers football or Seton Hall basketball, or whatever. That's probably going to be resolved in the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. But so even they didn't get it all right. And Arizona did well. But uh, yeah, whenever you have uh, lot, whenever you're seemingly locking out uh, interested parties, you know, a lawsuit can loom. And uh, it sounds like maybe they'll be able to avoid that. But it, uh, it could delay things, at least. Yeah, I don't necessarily see there's going to be a lawsuit. The tribes were in support of this legislation and they said they'd figure it out on their own. So, you know, presumably, you know, just like with any other sort of family business, there's some negotiations going on behind closed doors that we don't all know about. Um, and, you know, it's a unique situation. It'll be the first place where there's a sports book at a PGA venue. Um, DraftKings has partnered with TPC Scottsdale through a partnership with the PGA. Um, and there'll also be a book at Phoenix Raceway. Um, and then the WNBA team, I understand, I don't know who it is, but they already have a partner. Um, and, you know, all of the four major sports teams there um, have either have partners or are in process of, of announcing who they're going to have. So it's going to be a super interesting situation um, with a lot of retail books around, actually, um, and up to 20 uh, digital books. All right, well, switching to a, a state that is uh, not anywhere near as close to the finish line, uh, let's talk about Ohio. Uh, <laughs> one week ago, Ohio was our lead news story on the podcast when legislation sailed through the Senate, but the casinos are not at all happy about the bill and there are rumblings it'll fail in the House. If this does indeed fail, would you still say Ohio has made some progress this year toward legalizing sports betting? And, and why is Ohio having so much more trouble with this than most of the big surrounding states? So that's an awesome question. And it could also be asked in other states like Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, Massachusetts and Ohio, for me, are the two states that have zero roadblocks. There's no tribes, so they don't have to deal with that piece. Um, and there's not really anybody who's sort of against sports betting um, in a really loud way. Um, but for whatever reason, in either state, the lawmakers can't come onto the same page. Um, you know, in the Senate or in the legislature in Ohio, they held, I don't know, 10 meetings to discuss what sports betting should look like. They came up with a, a whole plan for it. And then they ditched it on like on the Senate floor and they came up with this new plan to basically lock out the casinos, give the pro teams preference and just make it a situation that hardly makes any sense. I mean, the casinos have been there in some cases longer than the pro teams. Um, and so, yeah, there have been already reports and none confirmed by me or anyone on our staff, but you know, reports that the house is gonna kill this. Um, and if they do, they're going to be in the same situation they were, you know, this year, next year, which is they're going to have to start from square one. Mm. Um, so I don't know how you get all those people on the same page or who's paying who or trading things for what, um, but they're going to have to sort it out if you actually 
you know, want to be able to have an Ohioan place a bet. And, and, and am I right that the, the thing that is potentially freezing the casinos out is that they, they put a, a lower limit on the population size for a county that gets a sports book or, or a town that gets a, something like that? There's yes. casinos so, that are in smaller populated, lesser populated areas are ineligible? No, it's actually the opposite. Okay. Um, well, maybe they can't still, but essentially the largest counties, so the ones that have Cleveland and Columbus, which it, I didn't realize had as many professional um, sports teams as it did, <laughs> um, have a cap on the number of licenses that can be given out. And that cap equals the number of professional sports teams. Oh, okay. um, and so then the casino in that county would be left out. Um, and I don't want to misspeak and say that you could have a single casino in you know, a smaller populated county, because I don't honestly remember that for sure. Okay. But, you know, essentially what they're saying is if you have a casino in Cleveland or in Columbus or in Cincinnati, you're not going to get a license. Um, and those are the very people who have been moving this legislation forward. And just like all of the pro teams, right, they've been employing people and contributing to the economy in Ohio for a lot of years. So it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. All right. Well, I'm kind of Kind of uh, hopefully ending on a higher note again, uh, but you can set me straight uh, if necessary. Uh, Louisiana, I they spent years. I mean, they passed daily fantasy sports uh, approval. I don't know, three years ago, and they've been stumbling along on that. And I thought sports betting was going to be at least as bad. But my sense is at least that they're doing fairly well. And um, they have kind of a wacky approval where it went parish by parish. And I think mm -hmm. something like 56 out of 64 or whatever parish has approved it. But it's not 100 percent. I'm wondering, A, is that unique? Do we do that by counties and, and the other states anywhere? And also, uh, you know, where does Louisiana stand? How soon might they uh, get going? So as a former uh, Louisiana resident, I just want to say, laissez les bon temps rouler, because we are <laughs> going to have sports betting by the fall there. Um, right. So yeah, John, you're 100% right. Um, they are moving forward. The hang up with uh, Daily Fantasy, and, and potentially it could have been with sports betting too, is that they needed a two-thirds majority on the tax rate. Um, anything that has to do with money, basically, in Louisiana needs a two-thirds majority in the legislature. Um, and they couldn't get that for daily fantasy. But last year, right before the pandemic really shut everything down, lawmakers there said, look, we're going to put out this referendum. And then we promise that we're going to get the tax thing settled next year. Um, their session started later than most other sessions. It wasn't until April, but they're done. Um, and the governor there, John Bell Edwards, signed the last two pieces of legislation last night. Um, and I actually spoke with somebody from the gaming control board yesterday and, you know, to quote them, they're not sitting on their hands doing nothing. They've started their regulations, um, but they can't do anything until the law becomes effective, which is July 1st. So they don't have a date set, um, but they're hoping for football season. And given that Louisiana has a very um, long history with casinos, relatively speaking, um, you know, they have most of the pieces in place. As to the question about the parish by parish approval, um, 55 of 64 approved. Those nine that didn't are all kind of clustered together in the central part of the state. So geofencing shouldn't be as bad as it sounds like. Mm. Um, it is unusual, but as people in Louisiana will always tell you, um, that state is run completely differently. There's a lot of French influence there. Um, the legal system there is called Napoleonic. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so it's a, it's a, I mean, they know what they're doing. It's just the rest of us don't. Um, so I think Florida potentially could be the only other state that's a county by county with this amendment three. 
Um, you know, but we're not there yet with them. But yeah, so far Louisiana is the only state where that's happened. And it was the same with Daily Fantasy, but more parishes did not approve. It is always uh, magnifique to uh, speak to you, Jill. <laughs> there's like there's like three or four words I still remember from high school French. Uh, I, yeah. I, 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 yes. I couldn't follow most of what you said there, but I got the gist of it. Uh, At the so. good times roll. Ah, okay. <laughs> perfect. That. And it's a big <laughs> motto around uh, uh, Mardi Gras. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it is always good to talk to you in whichever language. Uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast again. No problem. Thanks for having me. Always fun to talk and always lots going on. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Betting gods smiled upon us last week as we emerged victorious in every sport we bet. Uh, the gods smiled ever so slightly in golf, smiled fairly wide in baseball, and had a big old toothy grin in basketball. Uh, John, you placed five bets on the U.S. Open. Patrick Reed to win cost us $10, and Reed top 10 cost us $20, and his finish in a seven-way tie for 19th place turned a $50 <laughs> top 20 bet into $29. So that was a loss of 51 bucks on Reed, but you got 41 back on a top 20 bet on Paul Casey and $20 on a top 40 bet on Adam Scott. So that adds up to a modest win of $10. Uh, you got a bigger win on baseball. You took the Rockies on the money line against the Brewers Thursday as plus 133 underdogs, and they won. So that got us a profit of $67. And then there were my two unlikely NBA triumphs. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I bet the Bucks to beat the Nets as plus 185 underdogs. And thanks to injuries to Harden and Irving, the Bucks won in seven, despite mostly looking like crap. Uh, so that got us $111. And my bet last week on the Bucks to win game six by more than 14 and a half points at plus 320 odds okay. goes down as either one of my best bets yet or one of my luckiest bets yet. I'm not sure which. Uh, they won by exactly 15 with a Nets <laughs> bench player trying for a rather unsportsmanlike garbage basket at the end, only to get blocked at the rim. Uh, I if, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I, we, that. I, I was watching just too. for that. We, yep, we sweated right to the right to the finish there. When the when the Bucks ran out the clock on their 24 seconds, you figure the Nets are going to return the favor, but nope. <laughs> um, so yeah, if the Bucks win by one point fewer, I'm kicking myself for choosing the spread I did, but instead we got max value and a $160 win on a $50 bet. So for the week, we won $348, which puts us down by $1,034. We also have $1,267 on hold and futures bets. So that leaves us with $7,699 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. You're not the only one who stole money, Eric, this week. I got the fable triple backdoor on Sunday as Reed, Casey, and Scott rallied just enough to return us some dough from each. Uh, life is good. Uh, <laughs> we're on to the Travelers Golf Tournament in Hartford this week, which is tricky because part of the reason that half of the top 50 players are entered here is because this is a pit stop halfway to Europe from the, for the British Open in a couple of weeks after last week's U.S. Open in San Diego. So how into you know the golf really are a lot of these guys? They're just keeping loose and uh, you know uh, uh, checking off some frequent flyer miles. So uh, it's a little tricky. So I'm just going to go light on this one. Just $20 on Paul Casey, who is a absolute uh, workhorse, uh, always into it. And he does really well at this tournament. So 20 to win on Casey at plus 1800. May less be more this week. 
Okay, that's it. One golf bet for 20 bucks, huh? All right, keeping it simple. Um, since I am not self-banned from betting NBA playoffs, after all, I said I'd be done with NBA playoffs if the Bucks bets both lost, but they both won. Uh, and thank goodness, because I'm not following hockey or baseball closely enough at the moment, and I need something to bet. So uh, I have some, mo- some more NBA coming here. Two NBA bets this week, a main one and a small long shot bet. Um, the main one, I like the Phoenix Suns to win the title. They're the best of the four teams left, given that Kawhi Leonard isn't healthy. They're up 2-0 in their series, and though the Clippers have proven resilient in previous series, the Suns should reach the finals if they don't suffer a catastrophic injury. And then I favor them over either the upstart Hawks or the shaky winning in spite of themselves Bucks. Uh, now, yesterday, when I identified this bet, the Suns were a nice plus 125 at BetMGM. Unfortunately, with the Bucks losing game one, the Suns became the overall favorite. The price came down a little. They're even money at most books, and they're plus 110 at BetMGM. Uh, still worth it. I-, I think they're better than 50% to win the title at this point. So let's bet $100 to win 110 on the Suns. And then a flyer. Uh, I think the Bucks Hawks series is a toss up. Uh, the Hawks know how to hang with a team like this. The Bucks aren't so different from the Sixers. They can struggle to generate offense. They have a star player who doesn't want to go to the foul line. I see a tough series coming after the Hawks stole game one in Milwaukee. I'm seeing that the Hawks in exactly seven games is priced at plus 800. I, I like that for a fun one. Let's put $20 on that to win 160. Atlanta winning another game seven on the road. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to get spicy with two National League bets today in baseball. Uh, first, Carlos Martinez of the Cardinals is madly inconsistent, uh, while our Pirates are consistently bad, which ends our underbet before yes. the season, which was so smart, I think, Kurt. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, you thought so at the time, too, right? Oh, uh, yeah, revisionist history, yeah. Although, so, um, we're only about one, one or two games ahead of pace right now, so let's yeah, not get overconfident. I, it's trending nicely, yeah. Right. So anyway, give me 50 on the Cardinals at plus 120 for Thursday night, giving one and a half runs. And that same night, uh, give me quietly improving Joe Ross on the Nationals for 50 at minus 110 to take down the Marlins just on the money line. Uh, Ross struggles at night, but he's good at home and the Marlins can't hit, especially at home and especially versus righties. All right. Uh, you've been on a pretty good streak, I think, with the last couple of baseball bets. Yeah. So I'll trust yeah. that you know what you're talking about there. Um, we have a pretty good boxing weekend ahead. I'm going to do three bets of various sizes. Uh, the big fight of the weekend is a pay-per-view main event between Javante Tank Davis and Mario Barrios. Uh, Davis is the favorite. Uh, my prediction on the Showtime Boxing Podcast was Davis KO10. So let's bet over eight and a half rounds at minus 115 odds. We'll do that uh, $92 to win 80. And let's take a shot on Davis by KO between rounds 10 and 12 at plus 600 odds, $15 to win 90 bucks. And then in a separate fight on ESPN on Saturday night, Vasily Lomachenko takes on Masayoshi Nakatani, who's tough as hell. And Lomachenko isn't a huge puncher, but I also can't imagine him losing. Lomachenko by decision is plus 105. I think there's a little bit of value there. So let's bet $50 to win 53. And I'm sure you'll be watching and sweating along with all of it, John. Absolutely. What day is that again? <laughs> Saturday. Come on. What else are you uh, doing? I'm busy. Yeah. Sorry. Actually, <laughs> you... I'm going to the Mets game, although it's 410, so uh, PM. Oh, so yeah. You'll be, you'll, be, you'll be home in time unless oh, it goes okay. uh, 15 innings. Uh, you might actually enjoy Lomachenko. I, I'm not saying uh, that uh, it's, you know, cancel everything to watch him, but he's like a ballet dancer in a box ring a truly unique talent so if you happen to be sitting around saturday night with nothing to do there you go 
I'm hoping to be celebrating the uh, Jacob Brown perfect game, but uh, oh, okay, all right. If that happens, you're uh, you're definitely off the hook for watching. Okay. <laughs> and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest Jill Dorson. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, you know, we won big uh, on our bankroll on the Brooklyn Nets falling in the second round of the playoffs. And anyone who bet them before the season obviously is very disappointed. But what disappoints me is that uh, these vague echoes that I felt from 1994 are not quite there anymore. You know, 27 years ago, the Knicks reached their first NBA finals in more than 20 years, while the Rangers took a shot at their first Stanley Cup in 54 years. Madison Square Garden was rocking one night after the other. Um, I'd covered the Knicks and Rangers in the previous two years. I was transitioning over to the Devils. And then because of the departure of another writer, they want to be the Nets guy instead so i replied okay only if i could stick with one franchise for a while and that's why i came to cover the entire eight-year nets career of jason williams and then well the rest of it's for another day right. um, but i always continued covering playoff games in whichever sport i had so I went up covering all 25 knicks playoff games in 1994 and i was on the fence as to whether i wished i was on the rangers run or the or the knicks run and ultimately i realized i'm better off with whichever team wins the title I chose poorly or rather poorly was chosen for me <laughs> as the next loss came six and seven in Houston, right after the Rangers had won the Stanley cup. Now, and that's Islanders exact. That wouldn't have been quite the same this year, to be honest, the, although both play on that long, long Island, uh, the Barclays center is too new to have playoff barnacles and the team had no scrappy underdog quality, but, uh, still the Islanders. Wow. Well, they will soon enough cl- close out the mediocrity of a building known as the Nassau Coliseum for good after almost 50 years and move into a new $1.5 billion home near Belmont Park's horse racing track. Still, the fans who either remember or the parents remember the 1980 to 83 Islanders Stanley Cup dynasty, as I do, uh, it was a special time then. And these crowds are unbelievable. There's a viral uh, take of a recent playoff game where the uh, Star Spangled Banner, the uh, the singer, began the the anthem and then just let the crowd take it almost all the way through because the, the people are just uh, yeah, going crazy. And it was great last night. So, you know, in part for all those Islander fans who are betting illegally on their team because it would take a helicopter ride to get across the George Washington Bridge to New Jersey or to the Catskills Casino to wager there. Uh, you know, I, I was gratified to see them pull out a wild, wild comeback 3-2 win in overtime on Wednesday night. You know, so our region won't get the daily double this year and didn't quite happen in 1994 either. But after a decade of failure has followed countless championships in this whole area, I mean, across the board, and nobody has more pro sports teams than the New York City area does. Um, even one would do the trick, thanks. So good luck to the Islanders. And with that, Until next time, everybody, gamble on.